questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. And tonight, we depart from the traditional interviews. Sometimes we receive messages asking me to share with what I've learned so far doing this show. And since everything is about our guests, I don't get a chance to do that unless I appear at another program where I'm being interviewed. Recently, I had the privilege and the pleasure of being interviewed by someone of the highest caliber in the field of media broadcasting. I wasn't interviewed once, but twice the same week. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, past, present, and future, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight's special guest is none other than Jimmy Church. Jimmy is a radio and television host for the Game Changer Network, Premier and iHeart Radio and the History Channel. Church is the host of Fade to Black. Jimmy is also a guest host on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie and co-stars on History Channel's Hangar One, The UFO Files, and the time travel conspiracy show Time Beings. He's also the star and host for a brand new series on History A&E that features Fade to Black that will premiere in the fall of 2017. Growing up, Church was influenced by his mother, who was an avid reader of Edgar Cayce and Eric Von Daniken. She had an open mind for all things paranormal, and his father was the band leader for the army band, a musician. And this outlook on the world from childhood is still what happens every time Jimmy is on the air. He's taking overnight talk radio and network television into the future with a new generation of listeners who all want an answer. What is the truth? And to tell us his truth, directly from the city of angels off the Pacific Ocean, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Jimmy Church. Hello, Jimmy, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? It is an honor, Mel. Thank you so much. I'm honored. I'm privileged. First of all, let me thank you once again for inviting me onto your radio program, Fade to Black, as well as Coast to Coast AM. I had a terrific time and received a lot of great feedback, so I hope we can do the same tonight. But in reverse, it's my turn to take an X-ray of you, and I say X-ray because sometimes our listeners don't know that much about us. So let's open that window so we can all learn more about what's inside Jimmy Church. Let's begin with your journey. Tell us about your childhood and what motivated you to be who you are today. Well, uh, and thank you again, uh, Mel. This is uh, this is exciting for me. And I'm going to throw the exact same accolades right back at you because it is rare for my audience to hear from another show host and and what makes them tick. You've been doing this for a long time and and you've got a very large audience and a dedicated audience and they don't get to hear about you. And I do the exact same thing. I I am doing the interview and the audience is never here for Mel Fabregas, right? They're not here for Jimmy Church. They're here for the guests, right? And right. and that's our job. And so to reverse that, and for me, listening to you for so many years, 
to get inside of your head was a treat for my audience because we share the same audience and they got to hear your story and your side of things. And I found it completely fascinating. And the other thing is this, when you have host and host on the show together, it's a, it's a bonafide treat for both hosts. <laughs> it's like a night off right? in a way, but you know, there's so much information that comes out of it. It, there is a lot of information that you never get to share. And for me to to ask those questions of you that I've always wondered about you and your background, the the interesting thing about Veritas is that you keep it about the guest, right? So you're the mystery. <laughs> you're the mystery. And, and it was great to have you on and then to bring you on to Coast – because the coast audience, which everybody knows, is is quite vast and is in the millions, but they all listen to Mel, you know. And for them to to hear your story and your side of things and what got you here is is just a, a fantastic experience for everybody. Now that being said, back to me. Um, I I I grew up an army brat, and my father was in the army band. He was the band leader of various army bands around the world. So. That meant a couple of things. One, uh, the family was pulling up stakes every three years and, and moving to another city, another state, or another country. There's that aspect. But he was a musician, right? He didn't fire a gun. You know, he was never in Vietnam or anything like that. He, uh, he played an instrument, uh, many of them, and he was uh, a band leader. So he was the guy with the baton, right? The the, the parades, uh, the Fourth of July parades. My dad was the guy out in front leading the band marching. So with the baton and which means he was a pretty cool guy. He still is. <laughs> he's still alive uh, and still a musician to this day. But so they met as musicians, my mother and father in Michigan. So that means my mom was pretty cool, too, and musicians that get together and start a family. And that's was the early part of my experience of my childhood. Now, all that going the way that it was, you're you're exposed to the military industrial complex and 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 the military family life. Sure. I lived all of that and I wouldn't trade that in for anything. It was a great experience. But on the other side, my mom especially now, uh, looking back, knowing what I know now at my age, I'm 53, I'll be 54 in a couple of days. And uh, looking back with my knowledge, my mom was a trip. She was into all of those things that we talk about today. And I watched her do a lot of these things. And it taught me so many things that the world isn't what it seems. And I get that part of it now. But she was also in her 20s, right? If I'm five years old looking at my mom back then in 1968, my mom is 25, 26, 27, 28 years old. She's a she's a kid. And she was doing the Ouija board in the kitchen uh, till all hours of the morning with my Aunt Z, who is no longer with us, and drinking coffee and chain smoking cigarettes and and talking about all of these supernatural and esoteric things that at that age of five or six and seven, you really start to understand that your mom is is a little bit different. That's the first thing. But she loved us. That's the second thing. But the third thing, and that was the most important for me, was 
her ghost writing, her her automatic writing that she did, the books on the bookshelf, hundreds of Edgar Casey books. And I was barely old enough to read, but I could read Edgar Casey, right? And I would see these these books. I'm like, who is Edgar Casey? We have nothing but Edgar Casey books in the house. And and then you know Eric von Daniken and and those other things that were starting to accumulate, and I started to read those books at a very very young age, and it just exposed to me uh, what was going on. Now the other part uh, that was pretty fascinating, um, I was into all of those shows in the late sixties, early seventies, like UFO or Space nineteen ninety nine and. And I was into those series and the space race was going on. So just like every young kid in America, especially every boy in America at that time, you had your favorite astronaut, you had your favorite rocket, you had your favorite capsule, you were drawing pictures and and moon bases and it just fascinated with everything, you know, flying cars. And and I was into all of that. And I remember going to the library and this was in the fourth grade. So this would have been like 1971, 1972. And I go to the library uh, with my friend, John Dubrava and we go and look up UFOs in the library, the UFO section. There was a couple of books and we grabbed uh, an encyclopedia and looked up UFO and, and there's Heineck and project blue book and his famous photograph with, you know, his glasses and, and the and, pipes. Yes, 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 yes. And I started to really, really jump in to the subject at a very, very young age, and I never let it go. So my research that I reveal on the show, this is something that I didn't start studying 10 years ago or 20 years ago. This goes back to my very foundation and I've always been into it. And I, I didn't know, Mel, this is what was strange. Um, and I'm going to be very direct with this. I was like a lot of other ufologists, uh, uh, home researchers, if you will, in that I kept my libraries secret. I didn't talk to my friends about UFOs. I had stacks and stacks of videotapes and magazines and books. And I read everything and collected, but I never talked to my friends about it. And I was uncomfortable with that. And I think everybody keeps, you know, may live two lives. You know, you have something else that you do and, and you keep it private and you enjoy what that's what I was forced into. I was in the music business and I was into sports and I was, you know, my friends, we would talk about other things, but I had this, hidden self that I didn't reveal. And it was when I started to get into broadcasting and I had to make a few career choices. Um, I had graduated uh, from broadcasting school and decided to go into sports. And the reason why I made that conscious decision was because I thought it was an easy avenue to get into. But what I really wanted to do is what I'm doing now. I didn't know how to cross those boundaries. And at that time, you know, you had coast to coast. Uh, Art Bell was still on the air. Uh, so was George, uh, you know, with Art. And they were doing their thing. And and all of that is broadcast right here in my neighborhood. OK, when I broadcast for, for coast to coast, it's right down the street from my house. And at the time when I was doing all of these things and, and studying coast to coast, literally, Mel, was across the street 
from my condo in Sherman Oaks. Right there, I could walk out onto my patio and look at the co-studio. Wow. Yeah. And and I would listen to it every night. I just thought, how how can I wiggle my way into this world? And it took years. Um, it wasn't like planned, but you you focus on your own reality, right? That's what I want to do. I'm going to prep myself for this. Someday it'll happen. I just got to let it ride out and let the synchronicities play out. And that's exactly, uh, uh, oddly enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, we decided to uh, start a internet radio station. This was back in 2008. And uh, really, at, 2008. Yeah, there was no internet radio back then. That's when and, it started, 2008. Right. There, it just wasn't out there. So we thought, let's, you know, let's try to break down some walls here and, and we'll, uh, because at that time in 2008 was the big, uh, economic crash, yeah. right? The mortgage banking. And I'm graduating from school and there was nobody hiring anywhere. Uh, everybody was cutting back the advertising out of Detroit and the cars and, and everything that advertised on sports radio or radio in general. And, and television was affected by this too. Budgets were cut back. The bailouts hadn't started yet and everybody was panicking. So here I am ready to jump into radio. Couldn't get hired. So we thought, let's just do it ourselves. So we did uh, that classic move, you know, whipped out the credit cards, uh, built a studio uh, in our living room and, and just went for broke. And things just took off. It actually worked. We we didn't have a model because there was there was no internet, internet radio or networks or ways to do this. But I had an audio background from the music business, and and I've just figured out a way to build a website, get the audio, and and get it going. And we pulled it off. And uh, eventually, um, I, this is kind of jumping forward um, to your question, but eventually. Uh, Art decided uh, to make a comeback. And when he did that comeback, which was, I'm going to guess here, I think it was around 2013, um, on Sirius XM. And that lasted for about six weeks. And then he quit. And when he quit, I thought, this is, this, we're going to make a change. And so about six weeks prior to Art quitting, I had went to my wife and I said, look, Rita, um, I want to do another type of show and I want to cover everything. Yeah, we'll still do sports, but I would like to do conspiracy and UFOs and and all these things that I love in Egypt and and near death experiences and uh, every, all things supernatural and combine everything together. And we're going to call it Jimmy Church against the world. And she was like, oh, OK, well, if it'll make you happy. So we went and and, you know, broadcast Mel, you know what's involved here. We had to uh, design a new website, new logos, uh, new promos, new spots, new drops, new audio, bringing in voiceover guys, writing everything out, doing all of that production. And we now have a date and we are ready to go. I'm ready to start booking guests and, and do this thing called Jimmy Church Against the World. We're ready to launch. And then Art quit. And that was uh, the week that Art quit. In fact, the day that he quit, um, I contacted uh, Dark Matter and I said, hey, 
we have the show and we're ready to go. And what surprised me was they said <laughs> Thursday, right? It was like, this was on a Sunday afternoon. And I said, sure, sure, Thursday, let's go. And that's what happened. And, th and that's how it all went down. We we made the change. Uh, and that's when Rita said, okay, well, Jimmy Church against the world, uh, quite frankly, sucks. And we need a we need a new name. I was like, we've got everything prepped. So in a matter of about 24 hours, she came in and she said, we're going to call the show Fade to Black. I was like, well, OK, we got that out of the way. Cool. What and, would we do without our wives? Yes, 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 yes. And and she was answering. She was giving me the well, the direct orders and the answers to things that for me, I could just stop thinking about, like the name of the show is is. Critical as that is, she made the decision. I was able to move on. Okay, now it's called Fade to Black. Now let's start production and get these get these spots cut. Um, and we got we got it done, and and we ended up uh, airing on Thursday. And I think we started with one or two days a week. And and Keith uh, said, okay, let's do let's go from two to three. Let's go from three to four. Let's do. You know, after a couple of months, let's do five days. And I said, no, I just I just can't do it. And uh, let's let's just stay with four days. And so we shifted things Monday through Thursday. And and that lasted uh, over with Keith and and Art, I think, for about a year, maybe a year and a half. We were over there and it was a great, great ride. Um, and it allowed us to expose things out there and kind of get our feet wet with how we wanted the show to be done and dealt with and get it dialed in. And uh, now the, the the short and the end answer to everything is during this time, at which I didn't know, uh, George Nori was listening to Fade to Black. I had no clue. Uh, none, none, none at all. And one night I had Jason Martell on the show and we're doing our thing. And before the broadcast, I said to Jason, I said, you know what? Let's don't take phone calls tonight. Let's just talk for two hours. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. No interruptions. Okay, cool. So we had agreed to that before the show. About an hour into the broadcast, I start getting these phone calls from the same phone number. And it's a local phone number. I can see it. And it's local. And it's coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in, hanging up, coming in. And it happened about 10 times. And I said to Jason live on the air, I said, uh, Jason, I keep getting this phone call coming in. Somebody wants to talk to us. You want to take a phone call? Yeah, okay, let's do it. I pick it up. Hi, it's Fade to Black. Uh, who's calling? Jimmy, this is George. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, uh, this is George Nori. You sound just like George. Yeah, and I said, uh, oh, come on, you know, seriously. And uh, I didn't think it was him. And Jason goes, no, Jimmy, you can go back and listen to the broadcast. It's pretty funny. Jason goes, no, Jimmy, that is George. And George goes, hey, Jason, how are you? And they start talking. And George said on the air, he said, Jimmy, I'm a fan. I listen to the show every night. We're going on the air here at 10 o'clock. It's 8 o'clock. And who am I listening to? I'm listening to you and Fade to Black. It's a great show. And I was like, wow. And about a month. I mean, can you imagine, Mel? Right? You know, I was like, this this is pretty pretty cool. And about a month later, uh, we were at a conference, and George uh, was there, and we we met for the first time. 
And he literally in front of cameras and people and his fans uh, out on this balcony, there was probably a, a couple of hundred people there, I'm sure. Uh, George said, uh, Jimmy, I would like to invite you on to be a host over at Coast to Coast. Here's my business card. Call me on Monday. And the cameras click, 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 right on the video. And everybody kind of leaned in, Mel. You know, what did George just say? <laughs> what was that? And and that's how it all it's like I said, synchronicities, you know, you can't ignore them. Uh, if you want to change your own reality, if you're not comfortable with what you're doing in life and and you're searching for answers and you haven't found your bliss, focus, just focus. The universe will come to you. And, you know, it takes a lot of work and it's a, it's a lot of effort. We've been doing this now for for since 2008. We've been doing this for nine years. This just didn't happen overnight. And it's a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication and and a good wife like uh, my wife, Rita, and my family uh, has been able to do all of this. But going back to, you know, living across the street from coast and and focused on a radio career and trying to rehearse and think about things in my own mind and and plan things out uh, is what you have to do. But the other thing is you have to roll up your sleeves and. And one day, just, uh, you know, you step up to the edge of the cliff, you take a peek, and you jump, you know, and, and, and that's what we did. And here we are today, and I'm talking to, to you. It's just incredible when I hear these stories. And, you know, th that year, 2008, I remember so vividly, because as you mentioned, the economy was crashing. At the time, I, owned, I still owned the businesses, but we were all suffering. And I needed an outlet. I needed something to... Get all this off my chest to discuss, as you said, the UFOs, conspiracies, Egypt, blah, blah, you name it. And I needed something. And everybody knows the story by now, but it was my wife who came up with the word Veritas, which is an all-encompassing word. But I'm very curious. You, you, you have two bunkers, the bunker you have for Fade to Black and the bunker you work at at uh, Coast. Can you explain how things work for those people who listen to us who think we just basically press the unbutton, and we start talking. And then when the interview is over, we go to bed, which is going to be further from the truth. Can you explain to people the ins and outs of being, being in media broadcasting? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, it can be very simple, which is today you can have a laptop and a USB microphone or a USB headset And you can broadcast. Okay. It can be as simple as that. The setups that I have for the two bunkers, I like the way you put that, uh, uh, the one that I'm sitting in now. And of course, coast to coast are nearly identical. Okay. So the setups are the same. The operation is the same. I run, uh, I'll count now one, two, three, four, five, six, six computers. I have got, uh, and those six computers all are independent of themselves. Uh, and you do that for a few different reasons. You do that for audio in and out and a video in and out. That all has to run independent. So there's that. But also you don't want to stress out anything, right? These computers don't have any software on them. They don't do anything but what they are supposed to do. If you open up the computer, it would look like it was brand new. Right. It's just got one function. Um, so anyway, 
there's that. Everything is tied together. Everything is running on DSL, direct Ethernet, uh, DSL, uh, direct Ethernet connection and wire. There is no Wi-Fi or anything like that in either studio. Um, I have a, 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 a digital console that all of my audio runs into and, and video too as well. All of that runs into here. That includes all of the phone lines. So I've, I've got, of course, my microphone, but a couple of, uh, different phone line, multi phone line matrixes that feed in on a couple of lines. I've got my commercials that come in on another fader. Um, I've got, uh, 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 two audio, uh, plus, uh, two video feeds and they all come in. Everything's then spits out independently. So I have one computer that hooks up to the network that feeds out my radio feed. Again, it's the same setup over a coast to coast. Everything comes in, but it only goes out with one audio feed, one stereo feed that goes to the radios, right? That it's, it's really a simple setup and it's the same thing here. So one computer is feeding my, uh, you know, ice cast feed and that goes out to all of our networks and syndication. Um, there you go. Now I've got racks of compressors and, 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 and different, uh, audio processors that, uh, feed and compress the signal. And it's the same setup again over a coast to coast. Now I've tried to replicate both, uh, on both sides. So the sound is the same, but also there's a professional level of things that need to hit, uh, a radio feed. And there you go. We've got, uh, probably, Oh, uh, I'll make a rough guesstimate and say there's probably fifty to a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear that we've invested in here. Uh, over a coast, it's a little bit higher than that because the console is bigger and the studio's a little nicer and there's other things. But basically, it's the same exact identical setup, down to the microphones and uh, the cabling, the headsets. Everything is is identical, and that's what you have to do uh, these days. To have a, a good professional feed, you have a choice. You can go the, the cheap route or you, you can make the investment and, and take it. Uh, we feed, you know, iHeart, you know, out of the bunker and, and all of the other syndications that we do, Talkstream Live, which is a huge network, KGRA, a very, very big network. They have their standards. So we need to make sure that coming out of here, it is as perfect and professional as as it can be. There's nothing I there's nothing I would change. Isn't that weird? There's nothing I could change. We have a great relationship with Tascam and and Road and and some other manufacturers out there that help us sponsor the show. And I can get any piece of gear I want. There's nothing that I need. You know, I would. I, there's nothing I could change. It's kind of a weird feeling, but. But, yeah, that's it. it. We've taken it to the highest level that we can. That's great. It's like a musician that has all these racks, and they just hit the limit of what they can put on those racks. But I remember the day I was interviewing my first guest, I looked at my computer, and I said, wait a minute, I, 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 you know, I have a microphone, but it's not a USB mic. How do I do this? So I went, remember going to Best Buy, and there's this 16-year-old kid working there, and I explained what I needed, and he's like, aha, I have the right thing for you. I have an open box here. It's usually $150, but I'll sell it to you for $75. 
And that's what I used for about two, three years before I started upgrading. I created a, you know, a studio with its own booth and all that stuff. But it's incredible how you begin and you try to use the best and the cheapest. And slowly you start making things better and better and bigger. And, uh, you know, your story of, of how you made it all happen, that's just incredible. But also instead, in addition to the technical aspects, people don't understand also the preparation. And that's why I'm always taking my hat off people like you, George Nori. You do this on a daily basis. I personally couldn't have other responsibilities, but you guys that do this on a daily basis, what other preparation do you go through every night before you have, do you have any kind of, uh, do you do yoga or meditation before you begin? Yeah, I should. I, I, you know, I really should. The, the schedule, okay, it's um, it's daunting. Um, every week and every month, we we take a look at it and and literally think how 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 are we going to get through another month? You know how it, because everything is on our shoulders, um, and it's the same thing over a coast. I book my own guest over a coast. Uh, coast from the very beginning, we, we talked about this and, and they gave me absolute autonomy. I'm able to, uh, what I do over at coast, which is the same thing here at, at fade to black, of course, but over at coast, uh, I booked the guest. I am alone in the studio. Uh, of course I have my engineers there and my phone screeners and things like that, but I don't have a boss. I don't have somebody sweating me or coming in and telling me what to do. I am able to just go in in a professional sense and just be myself and do my thing. Um, so what I do have over at Coast is they have a team of web people and producers and and show prep and everything is handled for me. I tell them who the guest is and then I'm able to forget about it until I show up that night. And the other stressful, stressful thing I have is choosing the bumper music, right? <laughs> which is one of my favorite things about uh, over a coast. Now here, uh, we are now, uh, we're closing in, I've probably done uh, about a thousand interviews. Um, we're up to show today is show number 732, 732. You combine that with, uh, the shows over a coast and the numbers they creep up on you, Mel. They just creep up. It's just like one day you look and you're like, wow, we got, how did we get here? Now, the interesting thing and the challenge is this. If I've done a thousand interviews, who's left, right? Yes, yes. Who's left to interview? Um, I've done all of the greats. I've done everybody that was on my uh, bucket list, right? You know, those, those are done. And uh, I've brought back a few uh, again and again and again, like uh, the great Jim Mars. I did many, many interviews with him. And and uh, but it's trying to get to fresh information, fresh faces, fresh voices. Um, I'm trying uh, and Rita is really good at this. We're trying to get the next generation of researchers out there. And there's nothing wrong with our generation, Mel. There's nothing wrong with that. But one day you and I aren't going to be here. Who's going to carry that torch? We're, we're looking for those. And, and the more that we find out, there is uh, the, that millennial generation and, and before uh, underneath that. You know, age 
30, 35 and younger down to 15, 16. Who it's so vast. And the difference is between our generation and, you know, the X gens and so forth and the younger generation, they get it. They fully get it. There is no question about an ET presence. There is no question about alien contact, uh, the afterlife, uh, parallel worlds, uh, being lied to the education system. They, they get it. They, they, it is part of their DNA and bringing them on uh, to the show and exposing them. That helps our show grow, too, as well, because those that younger generation uh, looks up to me. I'm not uh, I'm not some old dude that doesn't get it. I love my heavy metal. I love music. I you know, I, I speak the right words because I haven't grown up yet. So they think I'm a cool old guy. Right there. So they are comfortable in coming on the show. I get out there in public and we do a lot of conferences and I do a lot of public things and I'm out there doing it. And the the kids that come up when I say kids, you know, I'm talking 20, 21, 22, 25 that come up and go, dude, your show, it's the bomb. You know, I, I really dig it. I, I, I look around and I say to myself that I think we're pretty secure. I think that we're safe. I think that they are going to carry the torch just fine. They're just as angry um, and inquisitive and starving for knowledge as I am. But they they get it. There isn't any question. And there's a lot less infighting with that crowd because they they all understand and they they listen to different ideas. Up here in our age group, things are a little jaded, a little more competitive. The UFO and paranormal and conspiracy community is uh, is not an easy one uh, to understand and, and to communicate in. Sometimes these different researchers and authors, you find that uh, they are fighting, uh, they're arguing, yep. uh, they're doing a lot of finger pointing. And I do my best to just try to keep this community united and, and keep everybody talking to each other. I'll tell you a funny story, um, which I haven't really aired out there too much. But a couple of uh, years ago, uh, we're at breakfast. Uh, we're at a conference. I won't say which one. And at this table is one, two, three, four. Let's let's go with four A-listers. Okay, think about that for a second. The 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 prime right of of the UFO and conspiracy community. We're all sitting at a table having breakfast, and it's Rita, myself, and I think maybe a couple of fader knots, and then you know, and they these people that I respect, and there was a male and female, are start fighting right at the table. Now we are at a restaurant where there are. Probably a hundred people that are sitting around us having breakfast that are all attendees and fans, and they see who is sitting at you know with you know at our table, and this argument starts to happen, and everybody's witnessing this, and I literally said, "Okay, that's it. Enough is enough. Okay, you guys are all friends of mine. This right here is going down in front of everybody here. Do you think they want to see this?" You know, they don't. And everybody just kind of shut up for a second and, and caught themselves. And 
And they said, you know, Jimmy, you're right. Okay, okay, all right, let's let's just chill this out. Because the community, the the fans, they see this infight, they see this arguing going on, and that confuses them further. Right? They 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 want unity. They want to know that everybody is is friends and on the same page and sharing information and and this is what they do. So, you know, but they this infighting happens. And the the fans out there, they're not into that. They're, they do not. They want to see uh, a solidarity in our community. They want to know because our community is fighting the rest of the world, right? We're the tinfoil hats and we're facing this ridicule. We got enough to deal with. We don't need to be fighting inside of our community, too, as well. Um, I was warned about this, and I know you've heard the same things over the years that as you get into this community, it's not all that it seems and 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 things get really rough here. And, and sometimes you you just want to back up and go, nah, I can deal with it. it you, you know, you're 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 imagining things and then you get inside of it and you see really what's going on. And it's not cool. It's not a good thing. But the younger generation doesn't do that. It's really it's really strange. They they really run around uh, in a happy world. You know, they're in a world of discovery and, and trying to find out this knowledge and what is really going on. They they don't want to fight, you know. So there you go. That's that's my soapbox on this. And I've been very vocal about it. Um, I remember uh, when I first started to get some recognition and, you know, I'm getting phone calls and and I was warned, you know, by some very respected people, uh, independent uh, warnings about what the future is and and what it's like out there and to be careful. And I chose to ignore it. I thought, I, I'll do my own thing. I am who I am and it'll be just fine. And as the, the days turned into weeks and turned into years, they were exactly right. It, this UFO community is a, is a treacherous one at times and it doesn't need to be. It really, really doesn't. It's just that, um, and I'm a firm, firm believer in this, the UFO subject, which falls under so many different categories uh, with, you know, near death or parallel worlds or time travel or any any of these questions that we have. Um, we don't know anything. We don't know nothing, nothing. And that's an important way to view all of this. None of these researchers know it all. Right. N none of them. If And. Uh, Sukalos was on my show a couple of months ago, and I've quoted him many times uh, because he said something very profound. He said, Jimmy, when uh, when that moment happens and E.T. truly steps off of a spaceship and says, we are here and then starts to explain why we will find out that all of us are wrong. All of us. And that's that's really the truth. So there's no reason for this infighting. I really believe that that we don't know. We know something is going on. We can see it. We can witness it. We there's too many abduction contactees and stories and video and photographs and eyewitness testimony. I've seen it myself. So have you. Right. But that doesn't give us the answers. We just know that that is the evidence as something strange is going on and, and we need to figure it out. But there's no reason for the infighting on this because any of those researchers that think that they know it all, I ask when I back up and go, no, you don't. 
put your evidence on the table. Let's talk about it. But don't argue and don't say that you are right because you don't have any proof that you are. I've seen things in the sky, Mel. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I can't explain it. But that doesn't make me the expert that, you know, it's not uh, I can't take a position of I'm right and you are wrong. I can't take that position and no, and neither can anybody else. And that's what's important here. The more that we understand that, that we need to stay on this quest and try to figure out what is actually going on. That is that is the true path. Right? I remember. That, I'm yeah, sorry. Right. Finish your statement. No, no, that's that's the path that we need to stay on. Just I, listen. Just listen to everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember the second interview I conducted was with a Steve Bassett. And at the time I started this with a level of, of course, naivety. You know, I was naive. Uh, I was innocent in many ways. And he told me, beware of the ghettoizing of the UFO community. And at the time, it didn't make sense to me. I thought everyone was in, on the same page. We're trying to look for the same. We're trying to finally try to get this closure out. But then as years went by, and I you know, started going to, to uh, do conferences and attending many of them, I started seeing this infighting, not only between you know some people who were attending who didn't agree with this or that, but the guests per se. And I started thinking, why? As you said, this makes us look bad. As it is, we're defending a topic that, like you, I also was an avid reader when I was younger, and I did not tell anyone. Because the moment I, started, I grew up in a devout Roman Catholic household, so you don't talk about these things. But when you go to school and you start talking to your friends and, you know, oh, look, at this, there's a weird light in the sky. Oh, you're into UFOs, you're crazy. And you just tend to close up and don't talk about it. To what do you attribute this, as Steve Bassett coins it, the ghettoizing, the division, the, the infighting within the community. What, what's your take on this? Well, you know, I, I did the exact same things that you're referring to here. It, and, and I'm glad that you say it like that for the audience, because this is typically what is going on. Uh, the, step for step, I went through those same experiences. And it taught me something very, 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 very quickly. And it, it's this, I will not be negative. I, I, I just won't do it. I'm not going to take sides. I'm not going to be negative. I've had uh, three or four shows in a row where I've had three or four guests in a row, maybe even in a month, right? Maybe 16 guests in a month where all of them were contradicting each other. And I love that. Now, it may be confusing to the audience that is, you know, they're there, they're taking notes, they're listening to everything, and they're, well, man, last night, then they said this, tonight they're saying this, now I'm a little confused. What I suggest to everybody is, just listen, just listen to everybody, that's all that you have to do. But I'm not going to be negative and say to a guest, well, last night, so-and-so said this, and now you're saying this tonight, and now I'm questioning what you are saying, or I'm questioning the guest from the night before. What does that do? It accomplishes nothing. I go back, it, 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 absolutely nothing. I go back to uh, the early days of when I was listening to late night radio, predating Coast to Coast, and well, including Coast to Coast, but listening to 
to all of the late night talk shows. The ones that I enjoyed the most were the ones where the host stayed out of the way and just allowed the guest to share their experience, their research, or their opinion. That's it. And and I am able to get through the show, paint my picture uh, in my brain, and and let my imagination go and absorb the show and enjoy the show and not get angst build up or or you know negativity. Those are the shows that I enjoyed. The shows where hosts go negative or try to pin somebody against the wall, I check out. I always checked out. I lost interest in the show uh, because now the host is making it about himself and not the guest. And that's I have no interest in that. So I have had the very same approach with Fade to Black. It, what did I enjoy? I, I had said to myself, if I could do my own show, that's how I would do it. Because that's what I enjoyed. And I know that I will attract an audience that gets my take on things, on how I want to not only conduct the show, but get the knowledge out through me, back out, and to the audience. And that's how you do it. You do it with just letting everybody share their own experience or research and and let the audience decide. It's a conscious decision. But it has allowed Fade to Black to grow because my audience knows that they can come on every night and and just let the the researcher, the author, the experiencer, the whistleblower, whoever they are, just put their stuff out there. That's that's what's most important. Don't don't get into the infighting. I, you know, I get email uh, every week. Bring these two guests on and let them debate. You know what? That, that's like the most boring show you could ever have. It's the most, it, it, you know, and those requests are very, very rare. You know, and if I did a show like that and did an approach like that, my audience, the ones that depend on me for just being honest and objective and asking the questions to draw out more information. Uh, and if I go against that grain, I lose my audience because that's not what they're here for. Um, and it's very important uh, for anybody out there that's listening uh, to this conversation uh, between Mel and I that may want to host a show or or, you know, start a podcast and, and you've got things to say. Listen, the most important lesson that you can learn uh, if you intend to do that is just be yourself. That's all you have to do. Just be yourself. Be that person that when you listen to these shows and you say to yourself, man, if I was there, if I was sitting in for Mel, if I was sitting in Jimmy's seat right now, I would ask this question. I would ask this question. That's that's what I do. That's it. I, I went through all of those scenarios uh, with different guests uh, over the years and thought, man, OK, this is how I would do it. And I made that decision. I would not be negative. I would not pin anybody against the table. I would not choose sides. I would not endorse. That's not my job. My job is to pull information out, have fun doing it, and make sure that the audience goes, wow, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. It doesn't, it goes against my paradigm. It, it goes against everything that I believe. But man, that was cool. And now I have something else to think about. And that's 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 it. And I think we've been very successful in that. And I try as hard as it is, Mel. I try very hard not to get angry, 
and 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 to be positive and and I think it shows and you know uh, bees are attracted to honey right and and I live by that I think that style equates longevity in the field because for years I've had people you know sometimes other radio hosts or listeners who write to me and say you need to confront this and that you need to have a debate between this and that and you won't last you're saying that you've you've had close to a thousand shows now. Imagine if the word gets out that somebody's going to come on your show and they know your style is a very confrontational one and they're going to feel uncomfortable. Pretty soon, you're going to be out of business. And this is what people need to understand. Just be, because we interview somebody who might be controversial or may have a topic to discuss that is very unbelievable, doesn't mean we endorse them or we believe them. But we want to be able to just get out of the way as a true journalist. These days, we hardly have any true journalists out there. They just, they're given a script and they read from that script. And if you don't believe me, turn on the six o'clock news and switch channels. You'll see exactly the same thing. But the non-confrontational attitude, getting out of the way and letting the guests just get what they need to say out of the way. They feel comfortable. And this is when the information flows. And in my case, I read the books. I want to extract as much as I can from the guests, make them comfortable. And every time I do a show, like tonight, you're my favorite show. You're my favorite guest. You asked me that question when you interviewed me. And I know the answer is sounds politically correct. But every time I have somebody, that is the most important person to me in the two hours that I'm interviewing. What do you say about that? that but that's exactly the point. And that's, it, you've hit it on the head. But there's another aspect to having that attitude when you uh, I made uh, some very strange statements about my own own personal experiences very early on in the show that I never shared with my family or friends. And and I'm talking about, you know, I had this little gray guy or, you know, it's saying a bit much, but somebody showed up in my bedroom one night right back in 95, 96 and. You know, I've never shared that experience, but I talked about it on the air. And suddenly I found that I didn't care anymore. And I started to talk about my own personal experiences. The audience hears that and they are now comfortable with speaking to their family or friends or calling into my show and saying, Jimmy, I heard you talking about this same thing happened to me. Can I share my experience? I've never talked about it before. That is what is most important here. And that falls back onto the guests. If the guests know that they can come on the show and just lay it out there and 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 stay comfortable with it and not be challenged, because we could challenge everybody on, on every point. But if they can come on the show and not be challenged and just talk about what they need to, to speak about, then... We have guests, but if the word got out that uh, if you're invited on to Fade to Black or you're invited on to Veritas and, and Mel's going to slap you around, you're not going to get a return email. You're not going to get a return call. You're not going to be able to book guests. And that that in turn, Mel, is censoring. It's censoring. You are now censoring your guest, you are limiting them to what they have to say in our community. 
which is the most important thing that I've learned in our community. It is a wonderful uh, exchange of ideas and experiences that you don't hear at the supermarket. You don't hear it um, poker night at, at, you know, at your friend's house. You know, you don't hear it around the water cooler. And the, the sharing of that in our community is the most precious thing that we have. If you can't talk here, you can't talk anywhere. You know, and I remember uh, very early on going to a couple of MUFON meetings here in Los Angeles years ago, you know, and, uh, you know, 10 years ago, going to these MUFON meetings and listening to these conversations that are going on. And some of them are pretty out there. And I'm thinking to myself, this is where I need to be. You know, people actually talk and listen here and there is no bias. There is no uh, uh, what's the term I want to use. I almost want to say racism. You know, there isn't any of that. The door is completely open. And when this community starts to say you shouldn't have this guest on the show because I don't believe in what he is saying, they don't understand how important and how wrong saying or thinking like that is in our community. We cannot censor. You know, that's exactly what our community is against. We're outspoken about the government and controls and the media and 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 fake news and lying and and the the UFO question and how the government is lying to us and not telling us the truth. And then you want to turn around and censor our own community. That doesn't make any sense. We need to be very conscious of that and and not cross those lines. If you can't talk here, you can't talk anywhere. And that is that is what is so important about having guests come on, knowing that they can just let their frontal lobe connect to their lower jaw and it can just operate. If a guest has to stop and think about what they are saying, right, and they can't go there, they're about to get challenged. Now we're not getting accurate stuff and the freedom of thought for that guest starts to get impeded. You cannot do that. The most wonderful shows that I have, uh, the most wonderful answers, is when I just say why. That's my question, right? They may say something like, uh, so uh, the craft landed in my backyard. Okay, why? Now I get the real answer. You know, not the nuts and bolts of the craft landed in the backyard. It was blue and it had flashing lights on it. Uh, Okay, well, we've all heard that. But why? Now that guest will be able to say their opinion on why why he was chosen or she was chosen. And let's get to the deeper reasons behind this with that guest. And that's what's most important here. Not the the other answer to that would be... uh, Ah, are you sure you weren't dreaming? <laughs> you know, are you sure you you were imagining things? Are you sure you just didn't watch a movie and this was something that was just implanted and the next day you think that it happened? That's all wrong. And that doesn't provide anything to the audience. The easiest uh, question to ask is why and let the guest go. And if the guest uh, doesn't think that they can give the right answer, you're not going to get anything from that question. Why? Very important lessons to learn, all of you aspiring show hosts out there. Keep your questions short. The best question 
is why. <laughs> I'll send everybody an invoice later. <laughs> and also, I think one of the biggest lessons is to be humble. Mm. People, the, 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 the listeners perceive that. If you're humble, if you st stay true to your principles, if you're yourself. You know, when I started, I guess I wanted to pretend that I was a radio host and I almost, 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 I, I'm probably, I still do sound robotic. I even had a lady that uh, called me Mr. Robotic. She used to love to listen to that. But then I said one day, you know, why am I talking like that? Why am I speaking with this, you know, monotone voice? And then I started thinking, be yourself. Just start talking about your stories. And one day I decided, let me just share the story as to why this happened. All the stories that I went through as a child and all that. And boom. It's just that's when he started growing and people do realize this is a human being who feels pain, who and a lot, a lot of people ask me, why don't you have a lot of video? We'd like to see more video. Well, first of all, it takes a long time to do. And sometimes I don't like to shave or I don't like to be wearing nice clothes sometimes. Got that right. But I have to tell you, sometimes I'm talking to somebody who tells a very deep story that makes me cry. And I just don't like people to watch me uh, that way. And I, I think this is a great thing that radio offers. As a radio host, we're here muting, thinking, wow, what a great story. And we feel for the guest and we feel for the pain that they've gone through. You know, as a family man, you are, I am. We think about our children and we want to leave a better future for our children or leave better children for the future. And some of these topics can be hard sometimes, don't you think? I had a, a Whitley Strieber on uh, two nights ago, and I've had Whitley on many times, and he's a great guy. And we talk, oh, yeah. we talk a lot off of the air and, and so forth. But anyway, uh, that happened. That exact thing happened two nights ago. Uh, Whitley, at the, uh, the latter half of uh, the show, was talking about his, his wife. wife. Right. And which we've done many times on the show. But he's going into a zone Uh, that was uh, very precious. And he went there. He let it go. Well, anyway, after, uh, uh, and I'm, you know, nobody, well, I have video cameras on in the studio. The audience uh, can see me in the membership area. But anyway, I was, I was crying. And, and I, and I was trying, and anyway, so he stopped and he was like, yeah, yeah. So what do you think, Jimmy? And I got, was like, oh, well, <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm swallowing and I'm drinking water and coffee and trying to get the lump out of my throat. But the audience caught that. And it was, uh, <laughs> you know, for me, it was it was honest. It was real. But it's also live radio. You know, this isn't uh, this is live. And I needed to speak at that moment. And I and I couldn't. I had the lump in my throat. And And as I said goodnight to Whitley and started to uh, read my credits and, and get off of the air, uh, I, I couldn't get through it. I, I had a very, very difficult time. I, I, I you know, I, I very rarely listen to uh, previous broadcasts. I, I just don't do, I don't have the time. But uh, it would have been an uncomfortable thing even for me to listen to. But I'm glad uh, the audience uh, got to. Got to hear that honesty because they were all broken up too. You should have seen the email that I had after that. Uh, wow, you know, somebody sent me an email. I know that we're uh, getting up to a break here, but somebody sent me an email immediately after the show and said, "I've just stopped crying long enough to send you this email so I can type." But that was that was amazing. 
And there you go. Again, uh, Whitley is comfortable. You know, he knows that he can come on, fade to black, and uh, we can just have the conversation that we need to have. And he can say what he needs to say and wants to say and and not worried about uh, being censored or being questioned. And and uh, that that brings out the best in everybody. What a great story. You know, I'm glad that we're talking about these things because we're human beings, folks. We just are behind a microphone and we just want to bring the best out of humanity. And as Jimmy said, I want to remain positive because I'm an optimist by nature. But at the same time, I don't want to be hiding under a rock or I don't want to meditate problems away. I want to be, I want to have people be aware of what's out there so we can tackle those problems and make a better world for everyone. When we come back, I want to ask you more. Right now, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg, but I want to know, are there any topics, you'll tell me on, on the other side, are there topics that you don't touch? Give me some of the highlights of some of the people that have impressed you the most, your influences. Obviously, you have been shaped somehow. Perhaps those people that you listen to as a child have been able to, to or are a force of change in your life. But how can people listen to Fake to Black and all the other ways to contact you and, and listen about Jimmy Church? Uh, the simple thing to do is uh, just the website, which is uh, jimmychurchradio.com. All of our syndication is there. Everything is free. Um, we have a membership area and stuff like that, but the, the broadcast is free. The website is free. We don't have a paywall or anything like that. And everything with Coast to Coast or History Channel or, or of course, our live broadcasting guests, it's all right there. It's just one portal and whatever syndication or network you want to listen to, everything is there uh, to to listen every night. It's simple. Folks, you have no idea. This is a privilege and an honor for me to be speaking with Jimmy Church tonight. I really, really enjoyed being with him on the two interviews that he did with me. And now it's my privilege to be interviewing him. We get along. There's a lot of chemistry. And honestly, I think that we share a lot of our style. We want to be bringing all the positive things that we all want to hear while keep things entertained and informed. So folks, don't go anywhere. Much more when we come back on Veritas with Jimmy Church. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our archive material, go to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for great products, including pure organic sulfur, rebounders, turmeric, and more. Thank you.